0: So this particular podcast has been recorded over a couple of sessions, unlike our usual where just one take, seamless and flawless podcast recording we do uh, due to the co- time constraints, especially from Europe and Gulf. This has been recorded over a couple of nights. So if there is any discrepancy in the sound, we apologise for that and hopefully it'll be better next week. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to the fourth episode of the I'm Having My One podcast, a podcast we've created about board games. My name is Paul, and on this episode, we will be speaking about the game we've played this week, which is European Golf, take a look at what other games we've played this week, and then we'll have a chat about some new games that are out recently and a rundown of what we are calling the Not This. Finally, instead of a discussion topic this week, we'll be having a short quiz I've entitled Beat the Board Gamer. Speaking of which, I'm joined this week by Tom. Hello. Unfortunately, Neil is away this week, uh, but he has played European Golf and has participated in the quiz. So we will have some information from him to feed into this podcast. So let's do this. So this week we have been playing the epic block war game Europe Engulfed. So Tom, why don't you tell us a bit about the game?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So Europe Engulfed is a game from 2003. It's from the renowned war game publisher GMT in the US, all generally speaking in some form of historical war game. They do some other little bits and pieces, but that's mainly their their thing, what they're known for. The designers of Europe Engulfed are Jesse Evans and Rick Young, who have done a huge amount other than than this. But interestingly, I was looking at the artists for this game, a guy called Mark Simonich and another guy called Roger B. McGowan, who both have actually not only done the art for Tons of games, uh and specifically war games, but they've also designed their own. The, the Mark Simonich particularly has got a really strong reputation now for designing uh, a lot of uh, what, What to be honest, GMT do more of, really, which is the kind of hex encounter games, as they're known, which is, you know, a little bit of cardboard that represents that unit and you're moving it around from one hex to another. Now, Europe Golf isn't one of those. Europe Golf is what's called a block war game so this is a you know as it sounds i suppose <laughs> it features a load of little blocks that you have they are probably about a centimeter square ish and each of these little blocks represents one of your units and it, it you know you place them on the board and move them uh, around in, in a way that you might with other games however one of the things that is quite unique about block war games and one of the things that i really like about them and makes them really popular is it does give you this fog of war element what i mean by that is that normally with any game pretty much when you're putting pieces onto the board you will see what it is that you've got and also what everyone else has got so a lot of the games whether they're war games or not you're going to be able to see what's going on right and so in particularly it, when it's this sort of game that's trying to simulate world war ii in the european theater and you're moving units around you kind of want to pretend that maybe you've got your units in different places to uh to, to where you do so you know having these blocks that You sit on either side of the board and your blocks face you and on your side of the block you can see, okay, it's that unit and it's got this strength. I'll talk about that in a second. And then on the other side of the block, it's just the color of that block. So your opponent knows that there is a unit there, but they don't know what unit that is. and They don't know what strength is. So just introduces this really smart, very simple really, way of adding that Fog of war element that I've never seen any other way of doing it other than blocks. So that's one thing about them. The other things with these blocks have strength points on them. So usually you'd call these pips that on one side, let's say it's a three strength unit, it's got three pips on the top side, then on the right hand side, you've got two pips, and on the bottom, you've got one pip. And as that unit loses strength you just rotate it 90 degrees so instead of the three pips being at the top it's two pips at the top and so you can just see uh that sort of strength as well so block war games have lots of nice little things you can do that you can't do in other games i don't think that they always get the best reputation in the proper war game community which we're not really part of um i think maybe people feel they're not detailed enough but they tend to be uh games that <laughs> despite this one taking ages are a little bit lighter i think in terms of their uh their approach to 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 what they're trying to simulate um but i i think they're really great the game itself fairly simple it's moving blocks around you know i'm going to do various stages of my turn, and those are moving blocks around various ways, and then you just do the fighting. The main unique mechanic that Europe Engulfed Engulfed has is these things called special actions, which are little tokens that you buy and have a set number of them. And, And the idea behind it is it's your nation sort of putting its extra resources into a particular campaign or uh, effort to supply or something like that so think that you know probably the most famous thing that people know about world war ii is something like d-day certainly in this part of the world and the effort that went into that is like your whole economy kind of going into uh, into that effort to do the invasion so in this game if you were to do that kind of amphibious invasion of another country you'd spend really these special actions you have a set number of them different nations can buy different numbers that is one of the the key things that european golf does as a, as a mechanic is have these little tokens this kind of special effort uh tokens that you can use in a variety of different ways but yeah that's the kind of uh, the headlines of of what the game is and how it's played i've had this game for a little while i've played it a couple times um more uh but it was introducing it to paul and neil uh this time paul what did you what did you think
0: yeah i absolutely loved it um as you say, the, the block war games um, are really good for that sort of fog of war. It gives you a different level of strategy because you're almost taking that gamble of, all oh, right, shall I attack that person there now? Uh, you don't know what they've got. Um, I mean, there is the argument that <clears throat> once they've laid down their blocks and you've had a battle and maybe some retreats and things have happened and those blocks are in a different country, a different area.
1: Mm.
0: That if you're bright enough, you can remember. Oh well, he's got four tanks and
1: sure six six. I, but I wonder whether some people playing this would even write it down. If it, you know, it's, it's just make it so long to do that, but write it down to keep track of approximately. But you just you probably lose track.
0: Yeah, and there's so many different little skirmishes going on across the map. Then you know, uh, I'm not bright enough. I'm, I'm <laughs> like, well, he's got he's got eight blocks. And then you're taking a guess of what he may or may not have. Um, and I think during the game, that was something that Tom and I did very differently. Whereas I may have had fewer blocks, but at full strength. And Tom had lots of blocks at lower strength, but it really made me then hesitate to go in and attack because i was like well he's got a lot more troops than me right. in this country
1: you don't know if that's a two strength or a three strength or a four strength right so yeah absolutely
0: yeah. I, I absolutely love this game and unfortunately we didn't get to finish um there just wasn't enough hours in the day to to play this particular game i think a lot of that was the first few the game set sort of each turn is set as a two-month period yeah Um, And I think our first few months, because both Neil and I were learning the game, you know, it was our first time physically playing it. We were maybe a bit slower than we were by the end. And, Mm. you know, although we had to finish, if everyone was free the the following day, I would have quite happily gone and set back up and gone for it again.
1: Right. And this is the thing about these games in general, is that (laughs) there aren't many that are trying to simulate something historical like that that aren't super long games right and I think that is a a luxury that we just don't really enjoy is having the ability to have that out on a table that then doesn't uh need using for <laughs> x amount of time so I've, exactly exactly children, you're not allowed to eat this week because I've got a, a game out the table. Um, you know, that all goes all the way up to the, like the ridiculous um, campaign for North Africa, longest board game in the world that takes weeks and weeks to play, right? It's like 200 hours or something to play.
0: Yeah, but there are shorter games. Uh, we've played Hammer of the Scots. Yeah. What did that take us, three, four hours?
1: Yeah, something like that. And we had, for European golf, we were... Probably hitting around about our uh, about eight eight and a half hours worth of play. We we'll say a few breaks in there, but and you, we'd only got to. We started at the beginning of the the whole thing, so nineteen thirty nine, and we played. I think maybe through to mid nineteen forty two, something like that.
0: Yeah. Um. Although I think we were picking up, but I think we were probably looking at an an eleven hour play if we were to. Yeah. Although in European golf there are shorter versions where you start oh yeah
1: yeah definitely and that's something that we could have done Uh, but I I, I think you're particularly keen to sort of see the full experience of it one of the things that you did really well with it actually is that you were playing as the Germans I was the Russians and uh, and the French and Neil played as the British and the Americans when they came in later and actually I think that the Germans are always going to be the most difficult one to do but you got on quite well with it really
0: yeah i i really enjoyed it because we played it as a three-player game and it is billed as a three-player game if Mm -hmm. you split the countries as is but you can play it as a two-player game with um axis and allies just as a straight split being germany is a good thing i suppose when you're playing any sort of two-on-one game you are sitting there a little bit as billy no mates (laughs) um you know while uh the other two are swapping messages and, you know, having a fun time. You're sat there sort of twiddling your thumbs um, with uh, no one to talk to about your own tactics and and things. But, you know, it worked. And and I think if we were to play again, I'd I'd like to have another shot at the Germans because I think
1: there's some things I'd do differently and yeah. some tactics I'd like to try. The, the other thing that I actually quite liked about this game that we were playing is that I think when you play these you know, these exploded, big strategic games like this, uh, and also in the team element, it's quite (laughs) interesting that I think it, perhaps because it just takes so flippant long to play these things, is that it shows you the sort of players that people are. And one of the things that uh, I thought that, (laughs) <laughs> From my point of view, being on the same side as Neil was really interesting. Is that we have really different approaches to to these sort of games. Anyway, I don't know whether we do generally in games, but Neil's very much like ah, oh, there's a little chance I'm going to do it. I'm just going to roll the dice and see what happens. Well, I'm much more of a uh, you know let, let's just make sure we've got enough to what we can do. That it's not going to you know chance something over there. M- you know, much more cautious, much more kind of let. <laughs> Let's be um, let's let's be sure that doing this is not risking anything. Whereas Neil absolutely was a you know just just risk it for for the sake of it. So I think he'd probably actually make a very good German uh, player in this game, where you do have to do more of that. Whereas the kind of being steady and building up is is probably more of the the British and, and U.S. strategy in in this game. So I don't know, maybe these yeah, kind of definitely. things come out come out naturally. <laughs>
0: But actually, I was speaking to him on the phone today and we were talking about board game tactics, um, specifically around Twilight Struggle, actually. Mm. But but yeah, we were having the discussion. I think he would admit he is definitely the most aggressive and the most caution to the wind of the three of us. Yeah. Um which which, yeah, really sometimes threw a spanner in my works where I was like, well, he clearly wouldn't attack there because you why know, would you do that? You know, he's only got a 50 50 chance of winning that that doesn't seem like good odds and mm. and yet there he is piling in and so yeah i think i think it did add a a good extra element yeah to definitely the game.
1: it was definitely and maybe, maybe that was if you just you and i were playing then we wouldn't necessarily see that but that was great and then get say from the team point of view because we were quite different in that front it sort of meant that Maybe sometimes I was persuading Neil not to do something. That was maybe a bad idea, sometimes a good idea, sometimes a bad idea. But sometimes he just would have a go and and it worked out for him. And, and you know, fantastic.
0: So, so Tom, there are slight different win conditions. Um, don't go into too much detail, but but do you want to just briefly just overview how, how you actually win an 11-hour block war game. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, fair enough. It's always one of the things that you should start with when you're teaching a game or talking about a game is uh, how do you win? Miss that out. So with this game here, it's... I'll go back to my same point about the simulation, is that if you're playing as the... We just called it the German uh player, but actually the German and allies and, and allied nations there, so the Axis overall player, it is very likely that you're just going to get to the stage of the game, unless you've done really well, that just the combined resources of all of the others are going to come against you, and it's going to be too much, as it was historically. So Yeah,
0: and, and as the game goes on, it does make it harder and harder for the German player. Yeah. There's Less resources available for you and more resources available for the Allies.
1: Yeah. So you can, as the Germans get a major victory, the Axis, I'm sorry, get a major victory, and you you achieve more uh, than they ever got close to historically but you need to do it early if you're not and i guess this could be a criticism of the game i suppose is that you you sort of then are trying to lose the least badly if that makes sense as the <laughs> access player and so more or less you win as the access player if you're not completely defeated by the end of the game, um, which I think goes around to kind of the very end of 1945. So sort of six, seven months longer than than the Second World War lasted historically. From the Allies' point of view, it's kind of just the other side of that. That it is how quickly you can defeat the Germans. And if you manage to do it by the end of 1944 uh then you will win a major victory and if it's you just kind of do it within historical time frame um then you you'll get that that minor victory and then you know, in between what did you think about the level of complication of the game was this uh, a good level um was it sort of a bit overwhelming at one stage or or uh, did you get on fine with it
0: I didn't think it was overly complicated at all. I think it's got a good level of complexity. Um but actually the the basics of the game is very simple. Mm. You know, move your blocks and then if you're fighting you fight against the pip level of the other person's blocks. And, right, and, and that's something
1: we did sort of clearly is that when you do have a fight those that those blocks being uh that fog of war that i was describing earlier that kind of on end is you just knock them over basically so you can see each other's strength right yeah um and, and going to that
0: when you're building your units and and because there is that fog of war there is a huge trust element in that the, the yeah. person is not necessarily even deliberately giving themselves extra
1: i think there's always got to be right is that sure you 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 could be Chucking yourself on another block, or or whatever else, you just—it's so complicated. There's so much going on. There's no way that you can really keep track. Well, you got—you got to have. The, if we're talking about trust, right? It's, I think you've yeah. got to have that trust in that level of game that's complicated. That that is that complicated, because you just never keep track of it, um and you know you go to that idea that we talked about in the past of that magic circle round table that everyone is there to get the most out of it and have a good time and you're only going to attempt this sort of game with someone who i think you uh can trust to be having a similar sort of experience right um i think that's just the the uh covenant you you enter into right when you're you're sitting around to play one of these games as well as your main block's
0: that are fighting on the map there's almost a little side battle going on with the germans building u-boats and there's also fighters and bombers and flat guns that is just something you're leveling up and at the start of the turns you're potentially rolling for to see if you can damage the other person's supply points or physical builds or you know what whatever it is there's there's a few different ways of just adding something extra to the game.
1: And that was something that you'd done really well. Is that that you there is this tactic as the Germans, you just build up the number of U-boats that you have that then reduces the industrial capacity of uh the, the British players who Neil was playing as, and being on the same uh team as as Neil. You know, we'd be sort of discussing what he's doing and sort of working out, you know, he's he's only got like 10 points to deal with or five points to, to work with this this turn because of the massive impact that you were having on that. Um, so it it it's a really nice sort of side, sort of almost game within the game. I always think that that you you have this 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 little campaign that's going on of uh, having the submarines and you're trying to sort of sink the uh, so he's trying to sink the submarines um, and then the impact that has on the wider game uh, is is really interesting and as you say there's a whole uh, bombers and bomber you know um, aircraft bomber campaign that you can do with it as well
0: the the only other thing to add is all battles whether it be through the side campaigns or main combat is all just decided on the role of Good point. varying amounts of D6 dice yeah And I have to say, we didn't track it exactly. So statistically, it may have evened out, but it really felt like I was much better at rolling
1: fives and sixes, which is ridiculous dice, ridiculous dice. And uh,
0: Neil and Tom were really good at rolling ones and twos. (laughs) Uh, That's my special. So there, there is that kind of random element that is brought in by dice and you can play the odds, although sometimes you know they might feel that I was doing slightly better on my dice rolls um, when I rolled four dice looking for sixes and got four sixes and Tom rolled twelve dice
1: looking for sixes and got none um, <laughs> <coughs> but I don't mind that right so thinking about for one thing it's just nice to chuck a whole load of dice That there's a nice thing about that and there's also a another thing which you sort of think again what is this trying to do is trying to simulate uh historical uh combat and you know this is sort of the the thing that people accept or know about anything about any sort of battle or anything that's happened right is that you can have all the best plans in the world but then because on that moment that that guy was going, he sort of forgot or woke up late or that bridge was actually not there or you know something happened that is actually just pure chance and luck, the weather, any of these kind of things, things that you just can't plan for, that introduced that element of chance uh, into, into these sort of uh, situations actually that when you are playing a game that's trying to simulate it, I, I don't mind that. I think if you were trying to make it a bit more, you know just because that person's got more numbers than the other that it moves away from that simulation so you think about something like diplomacy right which could just comes down to a absolutely this person just has more units than that person that's not that's not trying to do the same thing right it's it's not trying to simulate that so tom uh, did you have any ones whilst we were playing so I shouldn't have had too many ones because I knew this game, <laughs> but it's just not really my style to have no ones. And I did uh, this time bring our little tokens so we could keep track of them. And I think I ended up with two or three uh, in the end, just for little lapses of concentrations and things like that. Yeah, nothing major. I didn't. I don't think I had any big game uh, game changing changing ones.
0: I ended up with two tokens in front of me, but I feel that was severely underrepresenting the amount of ones. (laughs) So ratings out of 10. So Neil's rating out of 10 would be a potential nine out of 10, but his reason um, is that because it is difficult to get to the table, Neil is going to give it an eight out of 10.
1: Yeah, I think that is perfectly fair. It's the kind of the time it, takes to play through and, and everything else that difficult to rate it highly Just fair enough um for me it's much higher i i really enjoyed playing this game and it's got the right level of complication and uh love the the block element of it and as i was saying the little sub games that you've got within the game this is as close to if not a 10 out of 10 game for me it really is one of the favorite my favorite games in my collection
0: 10 out of 10 um i'm giving it a 9.5 out of 10 purely because it was our first game and we didn't finish it (laughs) um i think next time we play i'm more than happy to up it to a 10 but i would like to just get to the end of the game uh, before I give it but 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 sitting quite comfortably at a high 9.5
1: we just need to uh, find some time in our lives when we can spare you know 15 hours and then uh, <laughs> just playing one game and then, then it'll be no problem easy
0: let's have a rundown of some of the games that we've been playing outside of the podcast this week Tom why don't you start us off
1: yep so we've completed Another game of diplomacy in the last week using the same backstabber online version of this 1959 game of negotiation, betrayals and area control. This time we had seven players, uh, meaning that Italy was included in in those player controlled nations this time, which is great. Uh, We're very grateful to Neil's friend Steve and his son for for making up numbers uh, on that one. Thanks, Steve and Will. Previous games we'd had of this were all uh, quite alliance led, really, that you'd end up with two or three or even four nations teaming up together for the win. Uh, and so, going into this one, we'd agreed, uh, all of us, that we'll try and have like a maximum of two nation alliance uh, at the end, uh, and actually quite a bit of clamour from all of us to have, or uh, well, most of us anyway, to have more betrayals and backstabbing we certainly got that this time um it was quite a different game with uh, lots of alliances broken still got plans um away with family in the next few weeks and uh, still got plans to actually play an in-person game of diplomacy so um i look forward to to let you know how that goes
0: no, i'm very jealous about that
1: <laughs> anyway so that was diplomacy also uh, in the last week had another game of brass birmingham welcome to the brass birmingham podcast uh we've spoken about this quite a lot before though so i won't mention it very much other than in passing uh it was a fun game teaching brass again to another new player a couple of uh guys who'd played before but then a fourth who hadn't and we actually just played the first era the canal era this time due to time constraints but it was still really enjoyable Uh, i think that actually occurred to me afterwards that splitting that game up like that where you've got that first and the second and you just play the first era of the game does present a simpler version of the game and it might be a good way to teach it actually if you're uh, perhaps a bit nervous of of how to to approach it if you actually just talk about it as a one era game the first time around you just forget that second era altogether I think that, that might be an interesting way of doing it then finally um, I've played a couple of missions of The Adventures of Robin Hood so this is a, an introductory mission-based game set in the, the Legends of Robin Hood, which appeals to me a lot. It uh, came out in 2021, published by Cosmos Games uh, from designer Michael Menzel, whose uh, biggest other gaming credit is The the Legends of Andor, which I don't know very much about. Um, I think it's sort of similar RPG feel to it. All anyway, right. So both Neil and I pre-ordered this game last year. So I love the theme and what you do in the game, uh, which is kind of like a cross between a point and click, uh, old-fashioned RPG computer game with an advent calendar in some ways. What I mean by this is that you have this actually beautifully drawn board, which is filled in with these small segments that show maybe an object or a character that you can interact with. And these segments can be taken out, it's the advent calendar bit and flip to reveal a changed map board changing the imagery of what's going on for your continuing adventure so maybe flip it and there's a character on the other side of it then you can interact with or something like that all of these tokens have a number next to them uh that relate to a page in this adventure book that you get which is this thick novel style hardback book you get with the game that gives you a certain amount of kind of choose your own adventure to it as well. There's certainly some uh some choices when you're going through it. And so you'll, you know, you go to that token with your characters, you'll read out that page and you know the story progresses. The board itself is just a picture of Nottingham Castle and the surrounding buildings and villagey bits, I suppose, and then paths that lead off into Sherwood Forest. So there's there's not that kind of hex-based or point-to-point movement being used. Um instead quite a fun little solution to this for moving around, which is that you each uh, have... Each of your characters comes with this kind of standing meeple uh, and then three movement meeples, which kind of look like a... I guess a kind of like comic strip book representation of someone who's moving really fast, you know, with the person at the front, followed by the trail behind them. Uh, And so what you do is place the standing meeple, then depending on how far you want to move to to get to the next place on the the board you're aiming for, you place these movement meeples next to each other. So like, I don't know, like five centimetres long or something like that to see how far your character moves. This is a, a game full of great little mechanics like that, and there are some that I won't talk about as they are revealed as you play through the game and be spoiling it to a certain extent to do uh, to talk about that now. So as I said, Neil and I were really pumped for this game uh, and had pre-ordered it, but just before we received it, we both watched a review that really trashed the game for being too basic. and when we actually got and played the game from my own point of view anyway it was really hard to forget this and it did impact on the way in which felt about the game. And I think we both Neil and I played a few missions independently and some together and then kind of returned it to the shelf. And it's only in the last few weeks when I've sort of been thinking about, you know, games on the shelf and maybe rotating the collection a bit, I've been inclined to take it off uh, the shelf and give it another look. And having played it twice and, very pleased to say that I've actually got a renewed enthusiasm for it. Once again, I think it's just one of those things that you um you have to kind of view it for what it is, uh, which is you know that fairly simple introductory role playing game that is actually quite families focused. Um, so I think Cosmos do quite a lot of games like that, uh, and I think this is something you can clearly see in the game itself in the approach that the designers taken in trying to uh you know you you learn as you go kind of approaching it in the first few missions that you're removing a long teach at the beginning so again thinking you know getting kids involved in this perhaps uh, and it's allowing you to just get involved straight away now that review I was referencing that kind of impacted those first games that Neil and I played was quite critical of the writing in the mission book as well we felt actually even at the time it's been quite superior about the quality of the writing but again honest, honestly i think those guys have missed a trick it firstly isn't that bad but it's also not meant to be some elaborate rpg that uses you know long words for the sake of it it's again it's for families and kids so anyway now we played it again i'm pretty happy uh i i bought this game last year and i can definitely see this being a game that i keep for when my two kids are older, or you know, sell them and buy a copy in the future to play with them. I think there's uh, there's a lot a lot of good things about this and and fun little things. that I think kids will engage with and Robin Hood theme, which uh, which appeals to a lot of people as well. I think maybe my only criticism uh, about this is that the advent calendar thing, where you're taking the tokens out it's really difficult you know the, the nice sort of reasonably thick bits of cardboard that you're using taking it out but you only need to take it out a couple of times they start to become a little bit scuffed i don't know how you get around it certainly wouldn't want to go down a route where i know something other than cardboard that you're using necessarily for it uh, but it, it's it, it's maybe a little bit annoying but i just don't know what you can do about it but anyway the adventures of robin hood uh, from Cosmos Games really really happy with that yeah so I played the first mission with you we had a little playthrough
0: and it does seem like a lot of fun uh, I'm kind of waiting for Tom to hurry up and finish it so I can <laughs> <it off> him <laughs> and play it yeah. with my kids because my kids are older they're ready to play yeah they love wa- it don't yeah. need to wait 10 years for yours to grow up yeah exactly alright thanks Tom um, so this week a couple of games from me I've been playing uh, Star Realms Um I think a lot of people will know Star Realms. If you like a deck builder game, it's a really good kind of entry-level game. But even if you're maybe a more seasoned player... It's something that you can play quickly. So if you've got 20 minutes to kill while you're waiting for someone else to turn up, or you just want something nice to round off the evening, something like Star Realms or actually Hero Realms is very similar. You start off with a set of 10 for your deck of cards, and then there's a marketplace in which you can buy ships that will make attacks, or you can buy bases that you can defend yourself with. And it's just the first person to wipe out your opponent's hit points. No. and finally the other game i played this week is star wars legion it's another miniatures war game it's a collection game they do a core set, and you can do, have a reasonably good game from the core corset um, but ultimately if you want to get enough points to field a full army you need to buy different uh, different models and different units um, the units are sculpted really well i think they keep to the the theme and the abilities from the original movies. I, I think it's it's captured very well in the artwork and and in the way the models themselves are positioned. Uh, the one thing I would say about this with a lot of other miniatures games is I went and played around my friend Tim's house. He's got a little set up in his, in his garden uh, to play. And getting your miniatures painted up and based nicely on the table it really adds something but actually what really makes the game is some nice terrain he's got some really lovely terrain and and obviously slightly different for say something like x-wing or armada where you're in space you just need a black plate mat and it makes you feel like you're in space yeah if you want to you know really feel immersed in the game then you really need to start you know creating some scenery to fit but i'm not going to go into it now look you know have a look on youtube there's a lot of good guys that create really nice scenery and it isn't the most expensive thing to do and it looks like a lot of fun going back to the game as well the other nice thing about the game compared to some war games is whereas some of the war games you activate everything on your side of the board and push it forwards and then it's your opponent's turn and if you have a really good start that can give you such an unfair advantage where you end up wiping out right half of your opponent's troops so they don't you know they're already on the back foot but the way uh star wars legion works and i think i'm right in saying for armada and x-wing is you activate different units in turn so i might choose to move some stormtroopers forwards and then my opponent will choose to you know, use one of his Jedi or a vehicle. And, and it goes back and forth. And I think it creates those sort of more realistic battles that you see in Star Wars. I think it's a bit more immersive the way they've done it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, It, it more or less how it works with Armada. With X-Wing, it's got a slightly different initiative uh sort of base system that units will have a initiative. And so Luke Skywalker will move quicker than... Uh, box and a tie fighter but that kind of stuff you know yeah and you go to local game store as well uh to play i think don't you
0: yeah i mean it's it's just a club there's uh, nothing for sale yet which is probably good for my um <laughs> bank balance but but yes and you know that's the other thing there are loads of these war game stores some of them just focus on what's from citadel and warhammer um, mm-hmm. the the sort of Games Workshop branded ones, but there's lots of independents and there are hundreds of war games out there. Mm-hmm. So if you like Star Wars, there's something from Star Wars. If you like Warhammer, obviously that's there. But if you like World War II, if you like other fantasy space, if you like Ghouls and Monsters, there will be a war game out there for you.
1: Yeah, it does look great. And I'd love to give it a go at some point. But yeah, it's a massive whole almost almost sort of separate hobby in some ways that's always at least adjacent to board gaming per se is tabletop miniatures and the wargaming side right and yeah whatever your favourite topic is in that from as you say fantasy through to Star Wars through uh the uh, Dead Man's Hand stuff that Neil has been playing yep. through historical you know romans all the way through to to, to world war ii and, and i think even you know more recent stuff than that if you if you're into if you're into it this is a really quick final point as well on legion which is really important is that it is continuing right it's being maintained again something we'll talk about with uh armada star wars armada later is that that doesn't have it appears does not have a future Whereas Star Wars Legion is continuing to be produced as a, as a game.
0: Right. Yeah, and I think a lot of their releases at the moment, uh, if you follow what's been coming out through the Mandalorian, through Boba Fett, and right, some right. of the new characters that are being introduced in, in things like that, that mm-hmm. you're seeing those miniatures come through.
1: Yeah.
0: Anyway, so that's what we've played, and uh, we will move on now to some new releases. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to move on to a couple of different sections now. Um, It would usually be our crowdfunding uh, followed by the hotness, but due to upcoming holidays and what we've got going on, we're actually recording over a couple of days um, and we're recording a bit more in advance than we do. So any nice crowdfunding games will probably be well finished by the time the podcast comes out and the hotness will have definitely moved on. So we're just going to look at a new release. Um, and something that rather than backing and, you know, then waiting at least a year for it to come out, you can go to the shop and you can get this now. So I wanted to talk about two games in the Unmatched series, uh, which are out now called Redemption Row and Hell's Kitchen. For those that don't know, Unmatched is an asymmetric combat game for two to four players, Um, although it's worth noting in these boxes you only get three characters, so... If you want a fourth player, you're looking at another box or or using something you've originally got. Uh, But this is where the games get interesting. All the characters from all the games are interchangeable, allowing for some varied battles, and the list is huge and growing. So as the game stands so far, you can play as King Arthur, Sinbad, Medusa, Alice from Wonderland, Sherlock, Dracula, Jekyll and Hyde, the Invisible Man, Robert Muldoon, (laughs) three raptors, (laughs) Robin Hood, Bigfoot, Yeniger, Achilles, Sun Wukong, Bloody Mary, Dr. Sadler, a T Rex, Buffy, Spike, Willow, and Angel from the Buffy series, Bruce Lee, Beowulf, Little Red Riding Hood, Deadpool. And in these newest expansions in Redemption Row, we see Luke Cage, Moon Knight, and Ghost Rider. And Hell's Kitchen, uh, there's Daredevil,
1: Electra, and Bullseye. It's so varied, isn't it? It's bonkers. <laughs>
0: And these games are lighthearted and easy to play. If you're a heavy-duty wargamer, these ones aren't for you. Um, It's easy to pick up and play. You're done in under 30 minutes, so you can have a few games in a session or just a quick game on your lunch break. Um, the, The characters are varied, and although most of the actions are move here, punch this, shoot that, it's the text on the cards you play they're well thought out, they're very character specific and they make the game, you know, for, for a short quick romp through killing some random fictional character or guy from history, they make the game quite interesting. And you can pick up a set with a board, so the board is what you need to play the game for 30 to £35 pounds and the smaller sets with one or two characters for about £20. Pounds. Um, nice. We've got a couple of sets. Um, the The kids, especially, are big Marvel fans, so we're looking forward to to getting these and uh, adding them to the collection. I'm quite looking forward to Deadpool and King Arthur <laughs> t- teaming up <laughs> to fight dare, uh Daredevil and a T Rex. So that will be a, a a nice a nice way of doing
1: it. So I've never they're so popular these games. I've never gone near them. So I need to try them before judging, really. But the thing going back to what I was saying before about diplomacy and being, I think, a bit of a, a simulationist, really, and what, what I mean by that is that uh, really just wanting to play it out exactly as as it was, like putting in my brain backwards to have uh, King Arthur versus a T-Rex or something like that. It's
0: uh... <laughs> as, as it historically happened. Well,
1: we don't know. We weren't there, so... You know, yeah, happens, you, you right? do
0: very much have to suspend your disbelief to play these games. Yeah. Um, as I say, it's a bit of lighthearted fun. They're constantly adding. Uh, and what's nice, although at the moment there seems to be a big push on Marvel,
1: mm.
0: I don't know whether it was a cost of buying some of the bigger names, but they've gone for some slightly obscure characters, but
1: <laughs>
0: Squirrel Girl is coming out later this year with... Uh, well,
1: well-known character. <laughs> She, she she got her trilogy in the uh, the Marvel universe yet. Yeah, although, you know,
0: you, you never know, it might be phase six or whatever we're up to. Sure, you know, exactly. So, yeah. But, but it is nice that they take the IP from lots of different things. So you do have some historical characters, you do have some fictional literary characters, but then, you know, they've gone down the Jurassic Park route, they've gone down the Buffy route. So yeah, it's... It's nice. It's a bit of fun. Um, My two kids, uh, 14 and 17, absolutely love it. I've even played with the seven-year-old. It's it's maybe a bit advanced for him, but a lot of the sets, although it's up to four players, it's usually a 2v2 battle. These newer boxes are introducing kind of free-for-alls, um, but the, uh, the older games are, are very much a two-on-two. Two. So if you do have a new gamer or maybe a younger child, actually it works really nicely because they can have their own character. But if they get stuck and need help, you know, you're not shooting yeah. yourself in the foot by telling them to do something. Anyway, so that's my new game that's recently out. Um, you know, if you want something fun, go down to your local game store and pick up a copy now. Right, so on to what I'm calling the notness. We usually have the hotness <laughs> at this stage. Uh, it's the notness. Um, this is where we'll talk about games that are maybe a bit older and maybe not as well-known, although looking at our list, I think most seasoned gamers will know all of these. But the brief we've given ourselves is you need to pick a game that is over 200 on the BGG rating, is over two years old, and is still readily available for purchase. So, Tom, what do you have for us?
1: So, the first one is Flamme Rouge. This is a game from 2016 for two to four players from Lao to Petit, designed by Asger Harding Graham, and is set in the 1920s, I think, where players play as a pair of riders in a Tour de France-style cycling race. And I've picked this game as... It really works for me as a very simple to learn, but actually quite strategic racing game. Now, racing games, everyone's played a racing game at some point, right? It's such a major part of board gaming. You extend out and look at snakes and ladders. That is an example, right? You have a piece, you determine how far you're going to move in that case with a dice, and the first person to the end wins. So in Flam Rouge the way that you determine how far you move is a deck of cards you have one of these for each of your two riders and you'll have four in hand and every turn you'll determine how far you're going to go by picking a card uh, which is a number on it of the number of spaces you're going to move and placing that down and when everyone has chosen uh their cards they want to play you play that out in turns it's sort of got that programming element to it and you're contending with hills and drafting and etc out of the box you get a really fun game that i enjoy a lot but Flam rouge really comes to life and is a completely different thing with this companion app that you can get for mobile where it allows you to string multiple races together in a tour and you're carrying your race times and an exhaustion for your riders gain from one race to another, you carry that over to the next race. So, you know, maybe you absolutely gunned it in the first race and, you know, you uh you won, but you picked up a load of what are uh, called exhaustion cards um for kind of being in the lead all the time. And then you're going to carry over in a certain number of those into that next race. And so you do multiple, it can can have a real impact. There are a couple of expansions now that allow you to play with up to six players. You can add weather as well as different types of track and so on. And I've actually just seen they're doing a this year, they're doing a campaign box that essentially I think will do what the app does as well as giving you a load of new components to be able to to use. So again, building that kind of campaign, play multiple games of it really quick as well. You absolutely can get a game done, uh, sure increases the number of players, but with maybe two, three players, you can get a game done in half an hour, really. Yeah. And then, you know, you play two, three games of that over an evening at and that's your your little tour that you've built so really great really love it it's ranked in that board game geek list as 223 unbelievably uh so should, should be higher shouldn't it should be higher right um but it's it's absolutely a a nine out of ten for me i love
0: it yeah um and and i think it is quite a tactical game isn't it it you're actually penalized for being at the front and I mm-hmm. really like that as a mechanic it really fits in with the Tour de France theme is you're you're kind of waiting for that moment to go and make a break for this finish line aren't
1: you? yeah yeah absolutely choosing your moment of when do you you know slap down that that high end card that means you're going to to be able to 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 race into the lead and uh <laughs> it's really interesting the way in which it kind of goes with these uh obstacles you have on the race and again with the expansions you get more kind of things of like thinner uh pieces of road and, and cobbles and things like
0: that yeah brilliant uh so so my first uh not in this game is game i'm sure most people have heard of which is small world awesome um, it's a days of wonder game um it's currently ranked 298 is from 2009 there are loads of different versions of the game loads of different expansions for the game so there's a lot going on but even in the base game of the box which is what i want to talk about the the way the game works is you're playing you're playing the game's two to five players but play with as many players as you can get it gets better because the map is just not big enough for you all to play. So it's really chaotic. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of ways to attack people. Easy starter to teach because at the start of your turn, you are given a load of tokens that represent your faction and you have to play uh, two plus however many bits of cardboard there are uh, on each tile. So they don't even have to understand what the different bits of cardboard do. If they want to go into an area, count up that many bits of cardboard, add to if you've got that many tokens, you can go in. Uh, there's a nice random sort of push-a-luck mechanic at the end of your turn where you can roll a dice for a couple of extra bonus goes. Uh, and the factions are really nice because in the base game, there's, I don't know, a dozen or so different factions. Yeah, at least. Um, And and then slightly more abilities. So the the factions, they might be the trolls, the vampires, the dwarves, the humans, they'll all have some ability of their own, but then there's these bonus abilities that are mixed up with these factions which give you bonuses for being in certain areas or achieving certain things on your turn. And because that's always randomized, actually no two games are the same because each faction will have different abilities from game to game, and it Mm. really adds a lot. And then what's really nice about the game is there's no way you can play one faction for the entire length of the game. So you're just going to run out of, of available moves that you can do. So you can then put your faction into decline, which means they're flipped over. They'll still help you score points, but you can't do anything with them. But then on your next turn, you can take a new faction and start building from there. Um, it's, it is very chaotic at times. There's a lot going on on a very small board, um, but it's it's really good fun. You quite often see these on Facebook Marketplace, on eBay. Right. Uh, and Because it's a popular game, it goes quite cheap, but... Mm. It, it's not going cheap because it's a bad game i think it's just it's a good gateway game and then as people grow out of it maybe they you know if they're being quite careful with their collection it, it's one that moves through but it's definitely one to to pick up and play a really good game really good game to get you get you into the hobby and get you attacking other people and double crossing and having a bit of fun
1: Okay, so my next one is Star Wars Armada. What can I say about Star Wars Armada? I think of Star Wars Armada as this kind of trilogy of games that Fantasy Flight published uh, a few years back, we talked about Star Wars Legion earlier, this Star Wars X-Wing Miniatures game, which I think potentially was the first one. Um, that was the you know, you'd have your little X-Wings and your TIE fighters and so on and be flying them around as the game's grown massively from that. And then this Star Wars Armada, which is the big ship. So think of those iconic moments in the Star Wars films where you've got the the big space triangles uh attacking the little uh kind of zooming around uh rebel fighters and so on and and that's what you're doing in this game is a, it's a simulation again you are uh acting out that that uh that that fantasy of being able to to control those ships and you know there's a sort of like star wars legion as well kind of build building element of it that that's, the, the different ships have point values and you can have upgrade cards on them and you lay it out. And it, it, it's great. It's from 2015. The, the guy who designed it or had a hand in designing it anyway is Christian T. Peterson, who was Mr. Fancy Flight, uh, originally, uh, who, who founded that business. Also, he is the Twilight Imperium guy. So some good pedigree. Uh, there for us there are so many options in this game neil and i have played this a lot we made a decision and this sort of important thing really The, the outlay is just insane otherwise it's not a cheap game even buying stuff on ebay but you you need to be lucky as as i was that when i was first looking to get into it neil said he was as well and so you're you know you each buy a factions collection and then you can obviously swap and, and play those and, and have a good time with it you there are different varieties of it you can get uh the kind of old uh, original trilogy versions which is what we did of uh rebels versus uh the uh the the empire but you can also do a there's a clone wars version of it uh if that's the star wars that appeals most to you loads of options all of the the bits of Star Wars that appeal to you. So you can get your little Millennium Falcon, you can get your uh, Boba Fett ship and all of this to to be able to 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 enact that. There's also a whole tournament element. I wouldn't go near it myself. It's not kind of too interesting to me that, but we've got, you know, I got so much out of this game. We played it and played it and played it and we still want to carry on. So although it has been a big outlay to, to get the the different fleets that we've bought it's it's so much fun uh it will take a long time it is definitely a we're not particularly slow i don't think but you're definitely a kind of three hour kind of game uh maneuvering around and firing off your 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 different ships against each other um and it looks
0: good doesn't it you know
1: (laughs) it does it looks great on the table
0: no, it looks, it, it does look really good on the table. Whereas we were talking about Legion, that you need to get yourself some scenery, you need to paint the armies up. I'm right in thinking that the big ships at least come kind of pre painted or pre decorated to a point. Yeah. And the little ships aren't, but actually it doesn't really matter. All you need is a black piece of neoprene to sit everything on, and it looks amazing. I have to say, when, you know, when I've gone down my games club with my, Tiny little two inch painted Darth Vader mini, and you see someone whapping out their Superstar Destroyer on the table next to you. There is a little bit of mini envy in the (laughs) thing. They're not not mini, are they? The Superstar Destroyer. No, it's it's huge. It's ridiculous.
1: There's also a whole campaign that Neil has that we've not touched yet, which is where you kind of string multiple. fights together that and you the upgrades and and lots of really interesting stuff with them yeah we just we just haven't haven't touched it we haven't played probably for six weeks or so but prior to that we were playing at least every other week uh which is which is great so anyway really really good The enjoyment that I've got out of it, it's it's close to a 10, this for me. it is. There's this really important thing to it, which I was referencing earlier with Star Wars Legion, is that this game is no longer supported. What I mean by that is that Fantasy Flight sold the rights to another company uh, middle of last year, I think, and that other company's name just escapes me at the moment, uh, have decided it seems that they're not going to progress with it they, they don't feel that there's there's anything there so although that's a bit disappointing that we know that what's available now is all there's going to be that does prompt people to put things onto ebay uh for cheaper potentially and uh and be able to get it but you know uh, I sort of have the, the the comments that Neil was making a few episodes back in in bringing in my ears of actually when is anything related to Star Wars ever ever cheap?
0: Just because it's
1: an old out of print game or
0: mini based game, it doesn't mean it it still doesn't have legs. You know, in my games club, there's a couple of games going on every single week of month yeah. You know, it's still hugely popular.
1: Uh, I, I love it. Should get more attention.
0: Thanks, Tom. Right, finally in our not list, we have Antiqui Duellum. Uh, now, this is a slightly older game. It's 2012 and is much lower down the ranking, currently sitting at 1,629 in the Ooh, EGG list. Wow. But in no way is it a bad game. I would say this is my absolute favorite two player game. Right. I, I think. For my money, it is the best two-player game out there. You will not find a better board game. It's uh, designed by Matt Gertz and published by P.D. Verlag. I hope I've said that right. Um, And it's a historic combat game, uh, war game, uh, based on two scenarios. One side of the board, you can play Rome versus Carthage. Other side of the board, you can play Greeks versus Persians. Um, they've taken the original antique game and they've honed it down and made it for two players. And I think it works. I think some games that, you know, maybe of a higher player count but start at two, they never quite work well at two players. Mm. Whereas this works really nice. You're playing on really nice sort of historic-looking boards potentially the artwork is a bit dated. It is 2012.
1: It um, still looks good though, I think, doesn't it? it kind of, I know what yeah. you mean, but it, it still has a good look to it.
0: I think it suits the time period that it's set in. Mm. And I think that's a big plus for it. And, and the game works where you are fighting against your opponent um, and you earn victory points by... Um, the amount of towns you can take off of them, temples you can destroy, but then there's also another element where you are researching science and and knowledge and abilities, and you get points for that as well, or expanding your empire or building more ships. It's a really nice game. It's about 30 pounds to pick up. It plays in an hour, hour and a half max. The rules aren't too complicated. And what I really like is what you do on your turn is designed by a rondel system. And by Mm, what that I mean is there's a little circle in the corner of the board with different actions and, and you have your little token on it and you can move it up to three places or potentially pay to move it slightly further. But it really makes you think and plan your moves because you can't necessarily just jump from researching some ships and armies to then getting them on the board to help defend or or attack. You know, you've you've got to plan and sometimes what your opponent is doing, whether they're collecting resources or attacking you, it really can throw your game plan off. It's a a really nice back and forth game. I I really like it.
1: You don't see that Rundle system that much, do you? It's uh, that kind of action selection. You know, as you say, you're going to maybe take the the action that that gives you uh, recruitment options but then you can't move them because it's too many uh, taps around the the rondel to be able to do that kind of thing so yeah there's a lot of there's a lot to like about it
0: yeah there's a lot of advanced planning you know working out what you're going to do trying to predict what your opponents doing it's it's a lovely game and it's designed for two players I, and i keep banging on about this
1: but it just works really nicely it's a great little game to have in the collection i think because the having games that are designed specifically for two players is really good here's here's a, an interesting other one though what about uh, seven wonders a two-player uh, version of that that's uh, another interesting one to compare to yeah. this i think
0: I think Seven Wonders Duel works really nice and is a very good two-player game. I, I like it. It doesn't, in my mind, although it's called Duel, it doesn't really have that same competitive element to it. You know, you're not, you're doing your thing and, and obviously with respect to what your opponent might be doing, but but in Antiqui Duelum, you, you have to be physically attacking, you know, yeah we were talking about small world earlier and things It it is a it is a war game in in so many respects so mm. there is a, a big combat element it's very simple combat but it's quite tactical and i think it works nicely
1: yeah definitely i used to have the the main the follow-up antique two and it was it was a game that's quite difficult to get to the table I think it's perhaps because the look of it, um, the the theme of it maybe didn't appeal to people a lot. Uh but I always really liked it. And it was all these really nice what you do in Duellum as well, right? The really nice wooden pieces in it, as well as that that ancients sort of classics theme. Uh but having these these great little wooden, colourful meeple's that you use uh, is great. Um, it's the same guy who created Concordia as well, isn't it? Yes, yes. It's another game that we like a lot.
0: Yeah, lots of good things to say about it. Um, you know, have a look at it. And as I say, it's, it's not a bad one to to pick up at thirty quid or no, that's great. Whatever it, you know, s- still in print, maybe a little harder to get, you know, it's not one of these where every single shop seems to be stocking it, but it is still available and you can still pick it up.
1: Yeah. It's just, I mean, as much as anything is a mystery of how things get to certain ratings in this board game geek list, right. uh, How it can be (laughs) 1629th. be such a good game. is quite, quite baffling.
0: Because there's a lot above it that I don't think deserve to be there. Well,
1: Mac, Gertz, we're gonna do what we can. We'll talk yeah, about well it. Well done. Give yourself. We'll, a uh, back. <laughs> we'll do what we can to get it higher up the list so more people buy your games. We love them.
0: So finally we have our board game themed quiz. There'll be a total of 20 questions. Uh, and at the end we'll let you know what both Neil and Tom have scored. Um Neil wasn't here for the record, but we've done it with him over the phone. Um as you go on, feel free to, to pause, you know, because the, the questions might not give you a huge amount of thinking time. So pause, rewind, you know, it's it doesn't really matter, but let's just see how many you can get. So round one is a general knowledge. All the answers are taken from games that sit in the top 100 of the BGG um, as from the 6th of August, because there might be some movement. So, question one. In the game of Cascadia, name the two missing habitats. So, I've got forest, mountains, rivers, and what are the two that are missing? (laughs) Okay, question two. Released in 1995 and set in medieval Spain, which area-controlled game is the oldest in the BGG Top 100?
1: I'm going to kick myself over this. I almost want to call it, like... uh, I can kind of almost picture it, but not quite.
0: Okay. Which Viking-themed game and Steam adaptation by Eric Lang has a number of expansions, including Gods of Asgard? Question four. In which Roxley game would you find the characters Eliza Tinsley... James Watt and Sir Henry Bessemer um, and question five in round one what are the four player colours from the castles of Burgundy
1: I've only played this once in person and I wonder whether they're different on TTS don't four. think that okay
0: Okay, round two. This is the board game mashup round. You will receive clues for two board games where the names will combine to form one mashed up game. So I'm going to give you an example a hand management train placing sequel and a strategic block war game featured on the ever popular board game podcast, I'm Having My One. <laughs> So the hand-management train-placing sequel is Ticket to Ride Europe, yeah. and the game we played was Europe Engulfed, so your answer would be Ticket to Ride Europe Engulfed. Right, okay. Got it? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Right, hope everyone understands that. So, question one. A family-friendly, animal-themed tower-building game where you want your opponent to collapse the tower, and a fantasy deck building game, which came as a sequel to the popular space version from the same publisher. Question two, a tactical miniatures fast-paced space battle game by Fantasy Flight Games and an avian-themed card-based engine builder game. Question three, an interstellar space combat against other players and historic ships with asymmetric factions and upgradable ships, and another space-themed ship-building, cargo-hauling, tile-laying game.
1: God, uh, this is a complicated
0: one. Okay, question four. Two worker placement games, one prehistoric and one taken from a successful video game franchise, um, which is a colonist explorer game. Okay, and question five, part of a trilogy of board games, this worker placement game focuses on building a town and a cathedral, either nobly or in a company of thieves, and a family-friendly rectangular tile-laying game to grow your kingdom. Okay, round three. This is board or Bogus? I will name a board game, and you'll (laughs) need to tell me if it's real or whether I've made it up, so... If it's real bored, if I've made it up, bogus. Yeah. So question one, squatter. (laughs) Question number two, hey, pa, there's a goat on your roof. What? Hey, pa, there's a goat on your roof. Question number three, dingo bingo. Question number four, chicken cha-cha-cha. And question five, stump the nun. Uh, What's it called? Stump the nun. (laughs) Round four, this is lost in translation. So we're going back to the BGG top 100. And if you look on the main page, there's short descriptions for each game. All you've got to do is name the game. However, for an extra and possibly unnecessary level of complexity, all the descriptions have been put into Google Translate from English to Mongolian, to Portuguese, to Czech, and then back to English. So, all why, Paul? Why? <laughs> I have to say, Google Translate did very well. in keeping Okay, it good okay question one survive on a spaceship attacked by aliens but beware of other players and their agendas uh question number two grab the treasure but don't lure the dragons in this dungeon building race question three collect resources to create a harmonious village of forest animals and facilities
1: (laughs) it sounds like (laughs) like you're building rabbit toilets or something (laughs) (laughs) name of the episode
0: Uh, (laughs) question four pull the ingredients from your inventory and make the container into a balloon but I hope it doesn't explode (laughs) I'm not sure where the balloon bit is coming in here but (laughs) And question five, play amazing factions. Expand your influence by joining or joining a cult. I thought, this one, I thought this one was tough.
1: That is difficult. Give it to me one more time.
0: Play amazing factions. Expand your influence by joining or joining
1: a cult. What or what Joining join or joining. Yeah. So you can join it. or Or you can join it you can join it
0: okay so let's run through the answers and see how everyone did so round one the game of cascadia we were missing the prairies and the wetlands question two the game released in 95 was el grand question three the viking game was blood rage Mm. question four the game we seem to talk about a lot brass birmingham Question five: The four player colours are red, green, blue, and black. I was never going to get that. <laughs> uh, so on to round two: our board game mashup. So the animal themed tower builder and the space sequel, uh, fantasy sequel to the space game, is Rhino Hero Realms.
1: <laughs> uh, question it's a great, two: Great, great game in itself that. <laughs>
0: sounds amazing i want to play it uh round two the tactical miniatures and the avian engine builder was star wars x-wing span (laughs) again would play that you wanted zoos in space didn't exactly so this is just birds in space yeah gotta start somewhere um Question three, interstellar space combat and cargo hauling is Eclipse Second Dawn for the Galaxy Trucker.
1: Also, a great one.
0: <laughs> question four, we talked about it the other week our prehistoric worker placement and the video game spin off gives you Stone Age of Empires. And question five, uh, the cathedral builder and the family friendly rectangular tile lane game. Yes, that's Architects of the West King Domino. <laughs>
1: that's a great one.
0: Moving on to our board or bogus round, I'll rattle through these. Squatter is a board game. Hey, Pa, there's a goat on your roof. Also a board game. Although I had a quick look at it, not one I think you want to play. <laughs> Question three Dingo Bingo, not a board game. Should be. Was bogus, but yes, if you. Fancy inventing something. I think you've got a good title right there. Question four, Chicken Cha-Cha-Cha is a board game. And question five, Stump the Nun is bogus, not a board game. And finally, our Lost in Translation, Surviving on a Spaceship is Nemesis. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: The uh, treasure-grabbing game is Clank, a deck-building adventure. Mm -hmm. Our harmonious village of forest animals and facilities is Everdell not making our container into a balloon obviously quacks of Quedlingburg, and those amazing factions where you can join or join a cult is terror mystic so Tom I can tell you Neil scored 11 out of 20 what about
1: you? Oof, oof, I got a very wonderful 15 That's a
0: fantastic
1: score. So did you beat
0: the board gamers on easy mode with Neil at 11 out of 20? (laughs) Or on hard mode where Tom romps in?
1: uh, Exactly. Bring it.
0: That's it. Thank you for listening. We'd love to hear what you think. Uh, We're active on Instagram and Twitter. These podcasts are released every two weeks, so please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. If there's a game you think we should play and review or a topic to discuss, then drop us a message. We've been I'm having my one, and make sure you have yours too.
1: Hello, podcast Tom here. Sorry to tell you that this is going to be the last podcast for a few weeks. It's coming towards the end of summer here in the UK, and we're all trying to get a last bit of summer holiday before autumn begins. We really tried our best to avoid a delay in putting out our podcast episodes. I know our listener relies on getting these every two weeks but we found that we couldn't quite manage to bring it all together and put an episode out there that we were happy with. So, really sorry about that. We'll be back in mid-September with more board game discussion, hotness chat, and some interesting new topics. Speak soon. Bye! I'm having my one!